This is the Early Link Podcast, brought to you by Children's Institute. This segment features Abdikadir Bashir Mohammed, the Executive Director for the Center for African Immigrants and Refugees of Oregon, known as Cairo. He also serves as the manager for the Cairo Academy Preschool Promise Program. In this interview, we discuss the purpose of Cairo as a social change organization, the Somali community in Oregon, collective efforts to change education outcomes, and much more. Cairo is, is, is stands for the Center for African Immigrants and Refugees of Oregon. Uh, we started laying the foundation, the work for this organization back uh, in late 2014. Uh, but we formally incorporated it in March of 2016. The mission of Cairo is to enhance social justice and achieve parity for the African immigrants and refugee community through organizing collaborative leadership and advocacy. Uh, our vision is to enhance social justice where all can thrive. Uh, we do that uh, uh, by engaging our community in issue forums. We do that by, uh, by doing our research uh, and monitoring uh, social issues and public matters. And we do all of that just to make sure that everybody uh, that we live with, all societies can thrive in this state, no matter of their background, no matter of their uh, cultural values. We all have the same hopes and aspirations, and we should have the same uh, equitable opportunities to uh, to achieve that. Could you talk to me about the and, and describe the Somali community in Portland? The Somalis uh, have arrived, the first wave of Somalis have arrived in this country uh, early in the uh, 1970s, 1980s. Uh, we had a group of uh, Somali students that have been sponsored by the then government in Somalia. Uh, but the biggest wave of Somalis have arrived here uh, after the civil war in Somalia that erupted in 1991. Uh, so we had the largest group came over here in the 1994-1995. Since then, the Somalis have been uh, increasingly coming to this state. We mostly come here as as refugees and few asylum seekers. Now, as we speak today, uh, there are over between 12 and 15,000 Somali immigrants. They represent the largest African immigrants uh, in the state of Oregon. They are also the largest Muslim uh, society in the state of Oregon as well. We did do some work with PBS, Poland Public Schools, and, and uh, we found out that the Somali language is the fastest ELL language uh, at the districts. Uh, so yeah, basically uh, we we have a lot of, uh, we have diversity within the Somali itself. This happens to be the most diverse city for Somalis. We have all Somalis from all the 18 regions and tribes in this city. Uh, so that is uh, somewhat unique for Poland. Tell me a little bit more about the founding of Cairo and the mission and the purpose of the organization. Back in 2014, late 2014, a group of Somali professionals came together to uh, to look into the student achievements, uh, the Somali students uh, attending Poland public schools. Uh, we have appeared 
before the board. We've asked the Office of Planning and, and Evaluations at PBS to give us some data on the Somali students' achievements. The two numbers that kind of stood out for the community leaders were the fact that 97, 93% of the Somali students attending PBS were failing in math, according to the state's uh, standard, and 87% were failing in reading. So we decided to look that further into, and, and so we talked to the board members at PBS. We asked them to assist us in forming a Somali education task force. The community ultimately uh, convened a meeting, and, and we formed the Somali education task force. So we started doing our research. Uh, we have gone around community buildings, community neighborhoods, knocking on doors to talk to parents, mostly mothers. We also talked to students in different neighborhoods in North Portland, uh, Southeast Portland, uh, Southwest Portland. We have also designed surveys, uh, questionnaires for the teachers that we uh, shared online. And, and so we spoke to those three different categories, the teachers, the parents, and the students. For us, education was not one individual's effort. It was not just the schools or the parents or the students. It required uh, the collective efforts of all these primary stakeholders. Uh, we had a triangular framework of accountability and responsibility, and at the center of that is the student, then the parents, the teachers, and then the community leaders and organizations. And so we were doing that work for over a year. Uh, we produced that report in early of 2016. We shared that report with all other school districts. We shared that with the Oregon Department of Education with Multnomah County. We actually even shared that with the uh, U.S. Department of Education uh, Office of Civil Rights. Uh, and so out of that report came about the need to organize ourselves uh, and to have an advocacy organization. And that's how Cairo came about. The mission of Cairo so is to enhance social justice and achieve parity for African immigrants and refugee communities through organizing collaborative leadership and advocacy, and, and, and that's why we formed Cairo. When you looked at what was happening in PPS in terms of achievements or issues with Somali students, it sounds like one of the things that you wanted to do was look to the early learning spectrum. You wanted to think about the, the way younger kids were going to be entering the system and what they might need in order to succeed as they entered school and move through the school system. Is that, is that an accurate frame for it? In fact, that was uh, one of the basis of our, of our recommendations. Uh, students have lagged behind distantly uh, compared to their, counterpart, uh, their counterparts. And one of the reasons was because they were not school ready. Uh, when I say that, I'm looking at it from two angles. Uh, we have students uh, who were born in refugee camps, uh, for example, in Kenya. They have not been formal schools there, uh, and so they have n they've, they've been going to informal schools. And so the students were not academically prepared. Uh, you have a student, say, for example, an 80-year-old student uh, who does not speak English, who has uh, never had, say, a class in math, algebra, or biology, all of a sudden, when he and his family moves to this city, they are thrown into a mainstream class uh, 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 of calculus, algebra, or, or, or human uh, physiology. And so it, it was, it's very hard for them to, uh, to adapt to that class, not just from the academic perspective, 
but also the social and cultural perspective as well. That is one category of our students. The second category is, is those that were born in this country or those that have come to this country as infants and did not have the opportunity to go to preschool, uh, did not have the opportunity to go to kindergarten. And so by the time they start kindergarten or grade one, they are already late. And so uh, they end up catch, playing a catch-up game uh, throughout their K-12, uh, even in college. And so we tried to do what we can and I think uh, the best place to do that is, is at the early learning centers. Uh, how can we send our students, our kids, to schools as early as possible in their lives? And I think that is where the biggest impact lies. We want to prepare these kids for, for generations to come. And that's what Cairo Academy and our preschool promise program uh, hopes uh, intends to do. Before you developed the preschool program, you ran a child care center that primarily served Somali families, is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, and in fact that is how uh, we came to know about the preschool promise. We have been running a child care, uh, family child care homes, uh, two family child care homes uh, prior to uh, doing this at Cairo. That was specifically for Somalis, uh, and we were doing uh, social and cultural learning in those centers. We were doing after school programs for the school aged children, so in one of the days, I, I, I got the news that there will be uh, preschool promise opportunities for uh, child care centers. And so that's how I got hold of, of United Way, uh, and, and we applied. We luckily got that those grants through the child care, but then we later decided to move that to our nonprofit organization. Can you talk a little bit about the transition from your approach running a child care center to, to now running a preschool? In a way, that helped us a lot. The families that we serve now were already families that we've been serving in our daycare center. Uh, and so those that were at the daycare, uh, it was kind of a smooth transition, even though there was a disbelief uh, in them that this would be a different program, you know, a different thing. But ultimately, it worked out better for us. Uh, now uh, we have... Uh, we have moved them from the child care center. Uh, uh, we closed that child care, by the way, and, and now we have them in our class. Talk about the uh, the benefits of preschool. What is what is the preschool approach now look like, and how is that how is that have an impact on the children in your class? We do assessments three times uh, through the calendar year. One of the things that I uh, talk to my staff is to view learning as a socially and culturally uh, uh, mediated uh, uh, issue. Uh, when we talk about learning uh, or schooling, we're not just talking about the academic piece. Uh, for us, the social piece is equally uh, important. Uh, uh, the cultural piece is very, very uh, relevant. And so we try to give all those uh, tools, all those perspectives uh, to the students, uh, not just the language acquisition, but also the social and cultural acquisitions, the emotional and cognitive developments. Uh, we give them perspectives that reflect the lives and experiences of these children and families. I always talk to the state. Uh, I, I am uh, part of the African Immigrant uh, and Black Students' Achievements uh, Advisory Group at Oregon Department of Education. I, I also serve uh, in different capacities uh, in different school districts. And, and what we mainly talk about is, is how do we 
reduce the achievement gaps for students of color, for, for black immigrants in particular. And, and so I think the best way to do that is, is, is to start at the base and, that what, and that's what this preschool opportunity is about. It's, it's, it's trying to correct the deficiencies that have been happening uh, for, for decades now. And, and I think if we don't get that right at the bottom, at the early childhood education, uh, we never get, get that right. What are some of the main challenges for Somali refugees or immigrants that they're facing, maybe just on a, on a broad scale, but in Portland specifically? What are what are some of the main things that they're dealing with as a community? We've we've been through uh, difficult times before, but I think we are in the most difficult times now. Uh, what is unique about the Somali community in Oregon is 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 they fit into every category uh, uh, you can imagine for them to be a target for harassment, for hate crimes. We are, number one, immigrants. Uh, we are refugees. Uh, and and th- there's, there's hate crimes against uh, any immigrants. Uh, but not only that, we are also uh, black immigrants. And so that, that is another added layer to us being immigrants. And on top of that, and maybe perhaps the most important thing is, is we are Muslims, and so we we fit every category uh, for for uh, uh, hate groups. We just recently there was a student uh, whose scarf was pulled uh, uh, from her head, you know, while she was walking away from Madison High School. I know of another incident uh, of a student in another school, uh, a middle school, where a staff, a security person, told her that she looked like that, that she was dressed like an ISIS. So we we have those issues. Uh, sometimes they happen out of sheer ignorance. Sometimes they do happen with purpose. And so uh, those are the things, uh, the challenges that are unique to the Somalis, the fact that they that they fit all layers, uh, you know, uh, others to target them specifically. Thank you for sharing some of those stories. You know, when we think about the children in your classroom and the opportunity that we're moving toward with Preschool Promise to have a culturally specific and relevant program for them. How does that look today and how do, how do you see that shaping their educational experience? Uh, what, one thing that, uh, that a lot of people do not talk about is, 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 is uh, this community is here to, to, uh, to stay. We uh, equally proud American as, as, as anybody else can uh, claim. All the students that we have in our class were, were born in this city. Uh, I think 90-something percent of them were born in this city. We are talking about generations of Oregonians. Uh, uh, we're talking about generations of Americans. And so it is in the best interest of this state, it is in the best interest of this nation to make sure that these children succeed. We're talking about economic interests. We're talking about cultural uh, uh, fulfillments. We're talking about the future leaders for this state. Uh, and I think if we don't uh, uh, acknowledge that, uh, uh, then we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, uh, we should not view them as, as different from others. Given the same opportunity, given the same resources, these students can achieve, uh, can go as, 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 as high as anyone else can get. Uh, and I think the problem is, is, is just giving them an equitable opportunity to, to achieve their, their dreams, their family dreams. And, and, and this preschool promise is, means a lot to this community. It means a lot to these kids. 
And so we are given, we are laying the foundations for success for, for years to come. We, we talked a little bit earlier about the approach in terms of a dual, dual language approach. And you shared some comments about how that works and what you see is the best strategy for these very young learners. Can you describe that again and what your approach is uh, regarding the dual, the dual language components? That is, that, is, that is what is unique about our program. Uh-huh. We, we have a st- uh, staff that reflects our, uh, our students' uh, uh, background. We understand the language that these students speak. Uh, by the way, our students speak uh, uh, like three languages. Uh, we have Swahili-speaking uh, kids. Uh, we have Somali-speaking kids. Uh, we have Miami speaking kids, uh, and, and and we understand all those languages uh, among the staff. What we do is just beyond what students uh, obtain from a mainstream class. Uh, we, especially with respect to family engagements, uh, we do parent-teachers conferences. Uh, schools have not been good at engaging students, uh, but the mothers, the parents, uh, but. What I was very, very proud of is, 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 is our last uh, uh, parent-teachers conference. Uh, we, we've gone beyond uh, 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 the uh, conventions, uh, uh, the norms. Uh, I was personally giving rides to mothers. I was going all the way to their homes to pick them up and, and bring them to the class so they can meet with their teachers, their staff, and then take them back home. I was doing that because I know I know the situation of this mother, uh, uh, a single mother, with no other support. So, so I, we have been doing that because we understand the lives and experience of this community. What we also do is, is, is we invite moms. Uh, I, I talk about mothers because that's who we mainly deal with. Uh, the father in our culture is the breadwinner at home, and so mostly uh, they are working a shift. They work, say, for example, through the night and, and are sleeping through the day. So it's hard to work with them. Not that they are not involved with the students' uh, lives, but it is, it is a lot easier uh, uh, that way. And so we involve them through volunteer. Uh, they come in some days uh, to just stay and play with the kids. So more than anything, it, it, is, it, is, it is the perception that they are part of the program, that they, that they belong to this class, that they belong to this program. And so that is... That, that has gone a lot in helping us to uh, achieve uh, 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 what we want to achieve with these kids. Can you talk a little bit about the transition when you started Preschool Promise? There was some skepticism in the community, and what did that look like? There was a skepticism uh, because, uh, because of uh, two reasons. Uh, number one, there is the belief uh, that the system uh, that the system has been designed not to engage immigrants not to work with immigrants and so it's not just the parents but i i also did not believe the idea that we would one day have a culturally specific class for uh, for students for younger students number one th- there's two i want to uh, mention uh, two categories of people in our community with respect to early learning uh most mothers Tend, uh, a lot of them tend to, uh, I wouldn't say most, sorry, uh, some of them tend to keep their kids at home uh, because they want to first make sure 
that the child knows how to swim before being thrown to the sea. Meaning uh, uh, they, they want their kid to learn about his culture, about his identity, about his, about his family's values, his cultural values, before being thrown to a mainstream class. And so they, they did take their kids to school when they turned, say, five, or to kindergarten, or, or sometimes uh, uh, to uh, grade, first grade. There's that group. The second group is, is those who understand the value of early learning education, but then have never had the opportunity. They would apply for, uh, to a school for their child to attend, uh, and then they would put in a, in a waiting list. Uh, and so th- they would be on a waiting list, and, and, and they never make, uh, they never get the opportunity to have their children attend a preschool program. Sometimes they do attend, like one year, but there's hardly any family. Uh, there was hardly any family out there who had their kids uh, attend preschool for two years before kindergarten, and that is uh, uh, and that is reflected on our students' achievement. Now we're talking about first grade, second grade, third grades, uh, all the way up to uh, seniors in high schools. And 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 so, uh, what we have come up with is a way to bring those two groups together. We are saying, hey, here's a program that reflects your cultural values, that understands your f- your traditions uh, and, and, and would work with you on, 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 on developing that even further. Uh, and so that was one group. And then the second group is, is we have the opportunity for you. Uh, we know that you understand the value of other learning and here we are, uh, we have opportunity. Now the only issue is we only have 20 spots. And so initially th- th- there was this disbelief in the community that this is never good. It was too good to be true. And so we we struggle to recruit families. Uh, or, for example, we would have a family uh, register their kids in two schools. They would register with us, but just but just to be sure, they would also register with the school districts. And so it, it, it was a challenge. Uh, so they didn't believe until we started the class. Uh, and so it was part of that also that we started late in October. And now we have a waiting list of, of, of you know, we have a long waiting list. Uh, and so uh, I get calls at least at least two three times a week by parents asking for this and ans- our, our next school year is already full could you open a second classroom this fall we could uh, and that was the plan i actually hired uh, two qualified teachers with bas uh, and the plan was to open another school in washington county because we have a lot of uh, somali immigrants there as well We also talked briefly about the political appetite in Oregon for investing in young children. Here are Bashir's closing comments. I I might be naive or or ignorant of of the political nature of of, of this country or of this state, but what I uh, profoundly believe is is that we should never politicize education. There's a lot of other things to to politicize, but we should not, there shouldn't be politics about ensuring that children learn uh, equitably and successfully uh, across uh, uh, across ethnic lines, across uh, any any background. Uh, we should not do that. Uh, uh, and I am frustrated that we are having a conversation to uh, to maintain what we have. Uh, uh, the conversation should be how should we expand this, and not uh, and not any other thing. Not if I believe that should be the way that that should be the tone we are talking about uh, how should we expand this and now we are fighting to keep what we have uh, and possibly even maybe have a, a, a cut you know some funds uh, and, and it's, it's shameful they are talking about uh, we're doing this for economic reasons 
what reason is better than investing in a child? Uh, and so uh, we we shouldn't argue about expanding opportunities for, for all kids to go to school as early as possible in their lives. I couldn't agree with you more, Bashir. Thank you for speaking with me today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Rafael. This is Rafael Otto bringing you the Early Link Podcast. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org.